Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast. It's the last episode for 2017, and I know a lot of people are taking a break at this time, but they're also looking ahead to the next year and looking ahead and doing their strategic planning, especially in a world that's still changing faster than ever before, where business just seems to be more competitive than ever before. So today, I want to talk a little bit about disruption, and not in a negative way, because a lot of talk about disruption is about the negative consequences, the impact on your business, your industry, even on the world, and a lot of it's doom and gloom and things that you can't do because your business is going to be disrupted. But I want to take a more positive view because there is a positive side to this. You can be optimistic about it. And I want to give you some practical ways that you can take advantage of some of the disruption that's happening in the world to use it as a positive force in your business. So let's talk about disruption. Let's go back to the first days and months when you started your business. Do you remember those first heady days? You were really excited about the possibilities. You recruited other people who were just as excited. And uh, maybe even you worked harder than you had ever worked before because you're just getting your business off the ground. But you knew it was worth it. And it worked, didn't it? You didn't necessarily have the resources and the deep pockets of your competitors, but you had things that maybe they didn't. Passion, drive, enthusiasm, and just a willingness to do whatever it takes to, to make your business succeed. And your business did grow. Maybe it was a slow burn at first, but maybe it was an explosion. But if you're still around in business today, that means that you were a success. You were growing and you were growing faster and faster. But after a while, things got tougher, didn't they? You were still growing, but maybe not as quickly as you were before. That initial steep growth curve started flattening out and you're not quite sure why. In fact, this is not unusual. Many businesses go through a similar process. You can think of it as three phases of their business. First of all, you start fast with lots of rapid growth. Then the second phase is the growth slows down and business becomes more difficult. And then you reach a disruption point. And from there, you go one of two ways in this third phase. Either you accelerate again and your business starts thriving again, or you die out. So if you're currently in that second phase, that slow growth stage, the trick is to figure out how to accelerate again. Otherwise, your business just won't survive. So to do that, you have to know what caused the slowdown and maybe what is causing the slowdown at the moment. Why did that business that was running so well suddenly slow down? Well, it's not just one reason. In fact, it's two reasons, and they're two very different reasons. One explains why this happened to businesses in the past, and the other explains why it's happening now. And it's really important to understand the difference between these two reasons. As Albert Einstein said when he was criticized for giving his students at Princeton University the same exam two years in a row, he said, the questions are the same, but the answers are different. And I reckon the same applies here. I'm no Einstein, but I reckon we're still asking the same question about how to reignite your business growth, but the answers are different. They're very, very different. So here's what I mean. In the past, your growth slowed down because you slowed down. Maybe you became a bit too comfortable. Maybe you became even complacent. You started neglecting customers or built cumbersome systems and processes that started getting in the way of you achieving your goals. Maybe your people and your organizational structure fostered a culture of safety rather than innovation. Or you tried cutting costs at the expense of quality. So as a result, you became vulnerable to competition. These are other people in the same industry who were smart, sharp, and saw an opportunity to grab some of your market share because you were just letting it go. 
Now, the good news was that if you were in that situation, you could recover from it. You still had all the assets and the strengths of your business, great people, good products and services, a recognized brand, a positive reputation, a loyal customer base, things like that. Now, you might have let some of them slip, but if you just focus and reactivate them, then all those assets, could you could use them to work for you again. You might have been caught napping, but if you were smart, you could wake up in time and recover. You might have taken your eye off the ball, but you were playing the same game and you knew the rules. And you were playing it better than everybody else. So it was possible to regroup and regain the lost ground. Unfortunately, that doesn't work anymore. Now, the main reason your business has slowed down is not necessarily because you've slowed down, but because the world has changed around you. In fact, the world's now changing so fast that the things that used to work don't work anymore. Even if you hadn't become flabby and complacent and slow, uh, you still run the risk of becoming obsolete. The things that you called assets uh, aren't really strengths at all. In fact, you're not struggling despite having these assets. You're probably struggling because of them. Now, I know that sounds like a paradox, but just think about that for a sec. Building assets gives a false sense of security. It seems like you've done all the hard work in building that strong customer database, having clear systems and processes, building solid relationships with suppliers, and nurturing a high-performing team. But those assets can be liabilities because they might no longer be best practice in the world. See, in the past, your assets created a buffer between you and your competitors. Just to give you a couple of examples, if you had prime location in a shopping mall, that meant that you got most of passing traffic. If you built up a loyal client base, it meant that competitors couldn't lure people away from you. If you had a finely tuned supply chain that took years to create, the new competitors starting from scratch had to build that one step at a time. It was much more difficult for them to get to where you've got. But that's no longer true. Things like physical real estate, customer loyalty and supply chains are all being disrupted. So those assets don't have the same value as they used to. And even worse, because you have those assets, it's more difficult for you to be disruptive because you've already got things in place. You've invested a lot of time, money, effort and energy into them. It's harder to just throw them away and start again from scratch. So to put it another way, in the past, the risk was not keeping pace with your competitors. Now, and in the future, the risk is not keeping pace with the world. So the former CEO of uh, GE, Jack Welch, said in a speech, if the rate of change on the outside exceeds the rate of change on the inside, the end is near. And that's what many businesses are facing at the moment. That's why we call it disruption. You think you've done everything right, you play by the rules, you built a solid business, but still, the world changed and you didn't. And everything that you valued is shaken to the core. Okay, so that's the bad news. Let's turn it around. So how can you continue to be successful in this fast-changing world? Well, in a nutshell, the answer is this. Disrupt yourself. Now, this is not just a trendy slogan. I truly believe it's your best strategy for the future, especially if you've got an established business. So what you do is you examine all the assets in your business, especially things like your core products, services, systems, processes, people, and income streams, and imagine what would happen if they disappeared overnight. So these are your assets. Imagine if they suddenly disappeared. Then build your strategy around those scenarios. It doesn't mean that you have to destroy those assets, but just imagine if they weren't there, what would you do differently? Because this is exactly what a smart, savvy startup company does. They don't have those assets to start with, so they look around, find what's world's best practice, and then they build their business around that. So for you, don't wait for that smart, savvy startup company to come along and disrupt you. Take the initiative and do it yourself. 
I remember way back in the 1990s as a young manager, I remember reading a book by Robert Kriegel, and the title of the book was If It Ain't Broke, Break It. And that title gives away the whole point of the book. Uh, if you don't break it, somebody else will. That's why you should disrupt yourself, because if you don't, somebody else will. So let's look at how you do that. And the basic principle is to think like a startup. I remember as a kid hearing this old Irish joke. It was about a lost tourist in Ireland, and he went up to a local and said, how do I get to Dublin from here? And the local replies, well, if I was you, I wouldn't start from here. And I reckon the same thing applies to disruption, especially if you've got an established business. It's difficult for you to to disrupt yourself because you're starting from what you've already got. You've already built all these assets around you, and they're holding you back. It's not that you can't see the wood for the trees. It's, you, it's that you planted the trees that created the wood, and now you can't see your way out of the wood. And as I said, startup businesses don't have this problem. They don't have all those assets, but they don't have all the baggage that goes along with them either. So if you really want to be disruptive, think like a startup. So I'm going to give you 10 different parts of your business that you can examine critically and disrupt. So this is where you're turning disruption not as a negative force on your business, but turn it into a positive force. In fact, Jay Summit wrote a book called Disrupt Yourself. And one of the things he says in the book is that every threat to the status quo is an opportunity in disguise. So as we go through these 10 things, think of them as potential opportunities for you and your business. So these aren't in any particular order, but I'm going to start with things that I think are a little bit easier for you to imagine and envisage, and then move to the ones that are bigger picture and perhaps a little bit more in-depth and complex. So number one is to disrupt your systems. Let me tell you about Jake. He's the founder of a, um, a pretty good and thriving building and construction company in Basildon, Western Australia. And he came up to me after one of my conference presentations, and he told me that he was planning to retire. And he was going to hand over his business to his business partner, who was his son. Now, he was, he was pretty good. He could have worked on for a few years, but he hated the work that he had to put into creating quotes for prospective customers. He liked working with them. He enjoyed visiting the site, understanding a customer's needs, and doing the sales call, and then planning how to solve their problems. But he said it took him about 90 minutes back at the office every time he went and saw a potential customer to write up a quote. And he just thought, I'm over this. I don't want to do this anymore. So he talked to his son about this, and his son was going to take over the business. But his son, rather than accepting his father's decision, urged him to reconsider. And together, they looked into new technology, and they discovered a really cost-effective online quoting system that helped to automate the process. So Jake and his son figured out how to configure the system to match their business needs. And Jake told me that now it takes him just five minutes to create and deliver a quote, something that used to take him 90 minutes because that's the way the systems were set up. So what about you? Maybe your business can't make such a dramatic change going from 90 minutes to five minutes. Well, maybe it could. But there are almost certainly some parts of your business infrastructure that could be overhauled and redone. It's not that they don't work. It's just that there might be far better options available now. So looking at things like customer policies, technology, both hardware and software, your HR processes, your payroll systems, your IT processes, accounting, payment systems, how you take payments from customers, marketing techniques, your sales processes, customer service. So look at each of these and ask yourself this question. If we didn't have this, is this what we would choose now? It's a bit of a tough question because in many cases the answer is no and then you realize the cost of replacing what you have now but it's the right question to ask because if you don't disrupt their systems then somebody else is going to come along and do it for you. 
Number two is to disrupt your price. I remember way back in 1996 when I started one of Australia's first web design companies. When we worked with clients, a typical small business website took about three months to build and cost the client about $5,000. Now, high quality web design software means that a business owner can build their own website in a week for a cost of about $500. So it's one tenth of the cost and in one tenth of the time. So if you're running a web design business now, you simply can't compete if you're trying to operate with the same business model that worked 20 years ago. And it's not just a matter of reducing costs or outsourcing work to the Philippines or finding ways to be more efficient. Those things can nibble around the edges and they might give you a temporary boost over other competitors. But when the entire industry faces such a radical change, then you have to change your business model. And of course, there's still a market for web design businesses, but not if they're trying to compete with this transformational technology. Instead, they have to find a new business model, for example, developing expertise in a market niche or offering consulting and training rather than just web development or specializing in back-end software development. So what about you? Don't wait until somebody else comes along and disrupts your business model. Instead, preempt this by looking at your core product or service and asking this question. What if somebody could do this in one-tenth of the time and one-tenth of the price? Now, you might not know how somebody could do that, but asking the question gets you thinking about what that would mean for your business. And again, it might be a little bit of a confronting question, a challenging question, because you're looking at your price, you're looking at your core product, and you're saying, what happens if somebody else could come along and offer exactly the same value that we offer for one-tenth of the price and perhaps even one-tenth of the time? Number three is to disrupt your expertise. In the past, if you had a heart condition, you used to visit your cardiologist or doctor for regular checkups, usually done with an ECG, and that's a test that measures the, ele- the electrical activity of your heart. Now, the medical professional would administer the test, would examine the results, and take action if anything seems abnormal. That's the way it used to be done. But now, there's a startup company called AliveCore that lets you do an ECG yourself with a device that you attach to your iPhone. You hold the device and it takes a measurement and then it sends it automatically to a central monitoring center. And if there's anything unusual, the software can notify a medical professional. So what about you? Are customers buying your expertise in some way? It could be your skill, physical or mental, your knowledge, your years and diversity of experience, your access to specialized information, or your ability to solve problems, specialized ability. What would happen if they could get that expertise somewhere else? Now, this is already happening in many industries. For example, travel agents, and and I think anybody with the word agent or broker in their job title, used to have exclusive access to information, but now that's widely available to anybody else online. Financial planners offer a service that is being threatened by artificial intelligence. In the financial planning industry, this is called robo-advice, and these robo-advisors are really a threat to traditional financial advice. And another example, in many areas of medical diagnosis, artificial intelligence software now outperforms humans, and even robotic surgery, in other words, robots doing surgery, can do it better than humans in some areas. So ask yourself this question, what if our customers knew everything that we know? and then figure out how you'd operate in that business environment. Number four is to disrupt your technology. So let me give an example about some technology that I use in my own business. So in the olden days, so 20 years ago when I started my business, when I wanted to start taking credit card orders, I applied to my bank to become a merchant. Now, if they approved the application, 
Then I got a device for taking imprints of credit cards. You may remember those old click-clack machines and special paper for the credit card slip. Now, we don't have those click-clack machines anymore, but banks still approve merchant facilities and they issue, issue their merchants with terminals and FPOS machines. But there's an even better option for business owners. The startup business Square offers full-featured merchant facilities without a complex application process or a bulky device. You can buy a Square device for 20 bucks at Officeworks, or you could splash out and pay 50 bucks for the PayWave-enabled version. You plug it into your smartphone, you sign up for the app, um, get approved overnight, and then you can take credit card payments instantly. So what about you? Look at your core product or service and ask yourself this question. What if there was an app for that? And, uh, you know, that you don't have to take that literally. It doesn't have to be an app. But what if there was some technology that could do this, that could replace our core product or service with a simple push button or an automated service? Number five is to disrupt your people. The online shoe store Zappos has a reputation for doing things differently for their people, and they're famous for their culture. In 2015, the CEO, Tony Shea, adopted this uh, self-management principle called holacracy, where employees have more input into decision-making and they don't report to a direct manager. They, they completely get rid of the organizational structure and it's kind of self-organizing where people decide what projects they want to work on and where they're going to allow their skills to be used in the organization. There's a pretty radical move, a brave move. Some even said it was a foolish move. And Tony Shea knew that he wouldn't please everybody. So he offered everybody a pretty generous voluntary redundancy, and almost 20% of the staff took it. There's a lot of media at the time saying 20% of people jumped from the Zappos sinking ship. But Shea is really disappointed that the media didn't point out that the 80% plus stayed and decided to forge ahead with a new way of doing things. So what about you? You don't have to go as far as Zappos, but are you ready to get rid of, to jettison some parts of your organizational structure, existing power bases, even get rid of some of your people. Now, many managers and leaders say our people are our greatest asset, and some even believe it, and that's good. But even if you do treat your people as the most valuable part of your organization, does that mean you couldn't do better? I know it's a tough question to ask, but even if you have great people in your team, could you honestly put your hand on your heart and say these are absolutely the best people in the world to meet our current business goals and challenges? Or do they just happen to be the best people you've accumulated over the years and perhaps even operating at their best, but are they the best people? So be careful because there's a big difference between people operating at their best and the best people for this role. In a connected world, you have access to a global workforce and most businesses don't take advantage of the opportunities. So you don't have to fire all your people, but imagine that you are building a team from scratch. What would you do differently? For example, would you employ people who've got a strong social media following already? Would you employ people who have the right attitude, even if they don't necessarily have all the skills you need yet? Would you employ people with a mindset of cloud, shared data, paperless work, high connectivity? Would you employ people who want to work from home? Would you employ people in other countries? Would you employ some people at all or just fill those roles with freelancers and contractors? And are there some roles that just aren't needed anymore? Now, I'm not saying that you should fire all your people and start all over again, but it's worth doing this as a thought experiment so you can identify the mismatches and the holes in your system and in your skill set and identify how to fix them. Number six, disrupt your customers. 
Now, we all know that Google and Apple are two of the biggest companies on the planet, and both obsess about their customers. But they've got two very different approaches and attitudes towards their customers. And, and this is clear when you look at the product where they most closely compete head-to-head, the smartphone. So they both produce smartphones. Apple produces the phone with the hardware and the software. Google provides the Android operating system. And then other device manufacturers create the phone. But look at their two approaches. So Apple's approach is this. We're really smart. We know what's best for you. And they do create beautiful products. They're obsessively engineered with a focus on the user experience. And they also maintain a really tight control of every part of the customer experience. In fact, in the original iPhone, Steve Jobs didn't even want to include an app store because it takes some of the control away because it wouldn't allow Apple to control everything on the device. Now, Google's approach is different. They also care about their customers, but their attitude is, you're really smart, you know what's best for you. And unlike Apple, they give away control to device manufacturers, to app developers, and even users. Now, both approaches work. And we know this because both companies are successful. But I think the future belongs to customers with Google's approach. In fact, Google is already winning the smartphone race. They've got 80% of the world's smartphone market, and Apple's a distant second at about 15%. So what about you? Can you apply the same principle in your business? Now, you're not an Apple or a Google, but you might already have a focus on customer service or even customer experience, but... That's not good enough. Customers no longer just want to be served at arm's length. They want to be involved in your business, in the design, the sales, the marketing, the pricing, even choosing what products you should sell them. So stop thinking customers and start thinking community. What difference would it make if you broadened your customer base to be a community base? Number seven is to disrupt your leadership. In the 1980s, when the world was recognizing the huge potential of computers and was still pretty low base we were starting from, the company Intel had a pretty strong position as a market leader in computer chips. And there were two kinds of computer chips. There was the microprocessor, which performed the calculations, and there were memory chips, which stored data. Now, Intel's strength at that point was in memory chips, but the trend was clearly going towards microprocessors. And there's a lot of internal debate at Intel about whether they were going to turn their back on the memory chip market, which had been really lucrative and profitable for them, and start focusing on microprocessors. And in the end, the president of Intel, Andy Grove, he broke the deadlock at a meeting when he asked Gordon Moore, who was the chairman and the CEO, if we got kicked out and the board brought in a new CEO, what do you think they would do? And Moore's answer was instant. He would get us out of the memory chip market. So Grove said, well, in that case, let's walk out of the door, come back in, pretend we were the new CEO, and do it ourselves. So that moment of clarity changed the direction of Intel. So what about you? See, many people reach senior leadership positions because of the experience. But by definition, experience is about what you've learned in the past. And that's not always the best guide to the future. Are you willing to ignore that experience or even recognize that it might be a risk? How much do you really value other people's input, especially people who don't have as much experience? For example, do you foster reverse mentoring in your business, where the senior people are mentored by more junior people? Now, in some areas, such as technology and social media and consumer behavior, these junior people do have greater experience. But it's not only about that. Even in the areas where the senior people, like you, have greater experience, the fresh insights from the junior people might be exactly what you need to create the right sort of disruptive innovation and leadership to take you into the future. So do you have a reverse mentor? If not, maybe that should be one of your goals. Number eight is to disrupt your rules. 
Now, of course, any conversation about disruption can't be complete without talking about Uber. Uber is a poster child for disruption because it took on and disrupted a highly regulated, tightly contro- controlled industry. And it's something that many people in the public use. So it, of course, has got a lot of media attention and it has changed society to some extent. And now when you see the taxi industry speaking out against Uber, they always focus on the rules, the government regulations that supposedly protect their customers. But rules are created by governments, and governments are supposed to help their citizens. And when somebody like Uber comes along and presents such a compelling alternative, they force the governments to change the rules. The industry doesn't like it, but it provides a better experience for customers. Now, many other industries, for example, healthcare, education, financial services, also face similar rules. And compliance is a big part of working within those industries. And it's no coincidence that these are some of the industries that are currently facing the greatest disruption. So what about you? Ask yourself this question. What would happen if we could break the rules? Now, I'm not advocating that you break the rules and break the law, but it's worth asking the question because it starts your thinking from outside your current framework. You say, imagine if the rules didn't exist, and then you can work yourself backwards and adjust your ideas so they still fit within the rules or you find some way to work outside the rules. For example, many businesses in Australia are being disrupted, of course, from businesses outside Australia because they don't have to play by the same rules. Number nine is to disrupt your assumptions. One of the most commonly quoted stories around disruption is about Kodak, which is a market leader in film photography. And supposedly, Kodak failed because it couldn't adapt when the world switched to digital photography. Actually, that's not quite true. Kodak even invented the first digital camera, but it does raise a valid point. Why did Kodak fail? Now, the best analysis seems to suggest that Kodak failed because it recognized that digital photography was around the corner, but it didn't realize that it would get so much better so quickly. That first digital camera, which was built by a Kodak engineer and demonstrated to senior management, was as big as a toaster It took 20 seconds to take a picture, and the resolution was much lower than what you could get with film and print. And Codex Management, they looked at it, and they reviewed it carefully, but they discarded it because they thought it would never be good enough to compete with film cameras. They just didn't account for exponential growth, which meant that the improvements happened much faster than they expected. So what about you? Are you making similar assumptions in your business? Uh, What if you automatically discarded because it's impossible? There's a quotation by Josh Billings. Sometimes some people say it's Mark Twain. um, And he says, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So what are the things that you know for sure can't be done? Are you making assumptions that some things are impossible? For example, is it impossible that an encyclopedia that anybody can edit could be more reliable than one created by experts? That's why we have Wikipedia now and no longer Encyclopedia Britannica. Is it impossible to believe that you could trust a complete stranger so much that you'll get into his car and let him drive you to the airport? Welcome Uber. Is it impossible to believe that world-class high school and university education is available free to anybody on the planet with a computer and an internet connection? Well, this is happening now with online learning. So ask yourself the question, what do we think is impossible now and what if we were wrong about it? Number 10, the last one, is to disrupt your reason for being. In 1798, an English country doctor, Edward Jenner, noticed that milkmaids who caught a disease called cowpox seemed to be immune from catching the far more serious disease, smallpox, which was rampant at the time. And that observation led him to developing the smallpox vaccine. 
In fact, he started the medical process of vaccination, which, which is one of the biggest successes of modern medicine. And despite the success of the smallpox vaccine, it's no longer part of the standard vaccination schedule. Why? Not because it's a better vaccine or a better technology than vaccination. It's simply because smallpox itself has been eradicated. So there's no longer any need to vaccinate against it. In other words, a vaccine was used to solve a problem and that problem no longer exists. What about you? Could this be true for your business as well? You've reached your current level of success because you were solving a problem for your customers. But what if that problem no longer existed? I'm not saying that somebody else came along and solved it better. What happens if that problem goes away? A couple of examples. A financial planner who's helping people plan for retirement. What if life extension science means that lifespans double and the concept of retirement disappears? Then that's a problem that no longer exists. What about a mortgage broker who's helping home buyers get finance? What if portable and modular homes mean that people actually never need to buy more than one home? Or what if the trend of home ownership changes and people never buy, they're always renting because the world has become a lot more mobile and people are moving around and they don't want to own their own home anymore? One more example, driving instructors. What if self-driving cars mean that young people no longer need to learn how to drive? Now, in your industry, some of these what-ifs might seem a little bit far into the future, but you might be overestimating how long it will take and underestimating the impact it will have. So, we've looked at 10 things that you can disrupt in your business, 10 areas and some challenging questions that you can ask about your own business. So before we finish up, I just want to make the point, I want to say don't wait. So let's, let's think about that business growth cycle that I talked about earlier. You start with fast growth, then it slows down, and then you get to this disruption point where you either accelerate again or you, your business dies. And now in that second phase of slow growth, when you get to that disruption point, it either comes from outside or from inside. For many businesses, that disruption comes from outside. That makes it difficult to handle because you have to react to it and you are reactive rather than proactive. And that's why it's so important to disrupt yourself and to start right now. It's tempting to put this aside because you're too busy coping with the deluge of changes that are happening around you and you're struggling just to get your day-to-day work done, but that's risky. You'll never have that luxury of time to set time aside and start asking these questions. It needs to be part of your current thinking. I'm going to give the last word to Ernest Hemingway from his novel The Sun Also Rises. The two characters, Bill and Mike, are talking and Bill says to Mike, how did you go bankrupt? And Mike says, two ways, gradually and then suddenly. So don't wait for sudden death, act now. I'm recording this a couple of days before Christmas and I hope you do all have a very safe and happy Christmas or however you celebrate this holiday season. Because it's close to the end of the year and because I talk about the future and disruption, I thought just for a little bit of fun, I wrote a poem. And this is a poem based on Clement Clark Moore's poem, The Night Before Christmas, and I call it The Night Before Christmas Disrupted. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney in time, for last-minute express delivery by Amazon Prime. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of organic, vegan, non-GMO sugar plums danced in their heads. They needed no gifts for the cold and dark winter. They could make what they want with our new 3D printer. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. A self-driving car crash, or a runaway drone, or a chess-playing robot with a mind of its own? To the window I flew when I heard the kids screaming, only stopping to pause my Netflix box set streaming. When what to my wondering eyes should I see? A miniature sleigh with eight tiny reindeer. OMG. 
with a little old driver silhouetted in the dusk. I knew in a moment it must be Elon Musk. With my heart thumping strong for the chance of my Li-Fi, rushed down the stairs and turned on the Wi-Fi. It was slow to connect and I waited in hope when I remembered, oh no, we're on NBN, and I tugged at my hair as my hopes that rose fell, but it finally came through as I knew it would. <laughs> LOL. And then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof as I drew in my hand and was turning around. Down the chimney came Musk with a leap and a bound. A bundle of gifts he had flung on his back, and his eyes twinkled wide as he opened his pack. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, offering me the pick of the best gifts on earth. The world's biggest battery, a return flight from Mars, unlimited choice from his self-driving cars, a bag full of bitcoins he bought before the price upped, a tip about the next industry he planned to disrupt. But nothing would shift me. I knew my heart's desire, to beat the fake news claim and not be branded a liar. Quick as a flash, I grabbed him and his elfie and pulled out my iPhone and took a quick selfie. It was a bit dark, skewed and fuzzy, not among my best pics, but nothing a few Instagram filters can't fix. I sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a shout, leaving Musk in the lounge with his eyes popping out. As we raced to the sky to a hundred from zero, I knew I would soon be an Instagram hero. Not to mention Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat too. Maybe even in China I'll trend on Baidu. Who needs people and wealth? All I want is fame. To have 200 likes and shares next to my name. It was the night before Christmas and my wish came true. I hope Zuckerberg's Gates, Bezos or Tim Cook can do likewise for you. You might hear me exclaim as my sleigh fades from sight. Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. Well, that's it for this podcast episode, and that's it for 2017 from me. Uh, I hope you got some value from that, and I hope you've got some ideas for getting yourself ready for 2018. I wish you all the best for ongoing success in 2018 and in the future. A couple of things before we finish to give you some additional resources and help. If you want to know what's on the horizon for the future of work, the future in general, download my app, Fit for the Future. Uh, it's available free on iPhone and Android phones, and I created this app because many people came up to me after my keynote presentations and they asked me how I do my own research, what blogs I read, what podcasts I listen to, and also how they can follow me. So they wanted some recommendations so they can become fit for the future as well. That's why I've created this app. I update it regularly with news, articles, videos, my blog posts, webinar recordings, and other resources to help you become fit for the future. As I said, it's free and it's ad-free. So head over to the iTunes Store or Google Play and download it now. I either look for Fit for the Future or look for my name, Kihan Pereira. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I hope you found something valuable for your personal and your professional life. And if you did get some value from it, love it if you could do me a favor, give me a review and a rating in wherever you download your podcast. And more importantly, I hope you promote it to other people as well and recommend that they can download it in those podcast stores or at my website, kihanperera.com. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, check out my speaking topics at gihanspeaks.com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, go to gihanperera.com, G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com. And there you'll find my blog, my newsletter, all the past episodes from this podcast, uh, my videos and my webinar series. They're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team, and of course yourself. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now.